Down to Earth with Amundi. Working today for all our tomorrows. This is News Talk. Each week here on Down to Earth, we dig into someone's green life, finding out how they integrate environmental issues into their everyday lives. Today, Ireland's best-known cook, Darina Allen, joins us on Down to Earth. Welcome, Darina. Thank you. I've it's a- an honour. <laughs> it's an honour to have you. I've actually taken a few of your cooking courses at Ballymaloo Cookery School, and you were the first to introduce me to the idea of foraging for food. You've been a, a champion on issues like organic food and growing your own food, but I want to start actually with, with your childhood just a few decades ago. You grew up in County Leash as the oldest of nine children. So how engaged in environmental issues were you in those early days? Well, you know, I don't think uh, basically the word environment was ever really used in our house, but it was just in a funny way when I think about that, I realised that um, in many ways, just the way mommy lived her life and and, uh, and the way we lived our lives really was in many ways very connected to working with nature and looking after the environment in lots of different ways, even though it wasn't really spoken about. So you know, little things like, for example, in our house, the rainwater was collected off the roof and that's what went through the loos and for baths and all of that sort of thing. And also um, we grew, of course, we had, um, we were very fortunate. We had a kitchen garden. We grew a lot of our own vegetables and things. Mummy had hens and reared uh, chickens for the house and all of that as well. And then there was also you know, I'm 70 something now. Uh, and so in my childhood, and uh, I wish it was exactly the same now, um, there, was, there was no question of wasting anything really, particularly not wasting food. So uh, any sort of leftovers mummy would make into something delicious for the next day, you just didn't waste. It just simply wasn't an option. You get a clip in the ear if you left anything on your plate you know so that was all and in many ways when I also when I think about it it was just about good housekeeping um in a way of not wasting anything the cinders for example from the fire would be put out into the garden the scraps from the house were fed to the hens and came back as eggs a few days later everything was kind of interconnected in many ways we were sort of self-sufficient but this was uh, as I said it was just a way of living a way of of being rather than anything that we didn't really talk about the word environmental at that stage or environmental issues weren't so much the forest, of course, they are now. I'm actually really surprised you had a segregated rainwater harvesting system because that's a really considered a really novel technology now in in modern houses. But do you think this was all um, kind of economically driven, or or was there something? Was it a value based thing? <laughs> yeah, it was definitely economically driven, and it also made sense. You know, I mean, I'm delighted there's a revival of that actually because in a way it makes no sense to. Uh, you know, let the the rainwater be drained away, and then pay for uh, other water. You know, and it's it's perfectly good. It's a, and also all of this kind of just was you know seeped into our consciousness as children, and as a result, it's the way we still operate really to a great extent. So, what kind of things now do you do in your everyday life to to benefit the environment in some way? Some of the things are almost on I do almost unconsciously, but where I'm very fortunate, we live down here in the country in East Cork in the middle of a farm we have a hundred acre organic farm and garden so 
that is already, you know, we're very obviously connected to working with nature rather than against it. And we grow a, a very wide range of vegetables and fruits and fresh herbs and all of that. And uh, we then actually, that's also not just for the school and for the family, but also we have a little farm shop here on the beside the cooking school on the farm where we can sell the organic produce and you know our, our own milk we have a small dairy herd little jersey herd of eight or nine cows uh, and some pigs and chickens and all of that and basically we sell the food in that little farm shop to look to the local community and it's completely it's so important nowadays particularly during COVID people just are so grateful uh, for that and then I suppose the other thing you could say uh, is we've always since I worked with my mother-in-law Myrtle Allen who's now deceased but in Ballymaloo for many many years uh, she built up a whole always had a policy of she changed the menu every day so basically she always had a policy of serving local food and buying from local producers so we buy from I suppose about 150 160 local uh, farmers uh, food producers, cheese makers, fish smokers, etc., etc., in the area, and that actually makes can makes a huge difference to the livelihood of people in the local area, and it means they can produce food in a different kind of way when they know they have uh, a market uh, and they are, have a guaranteed price. They'll be paid what they need to be paid to produce something of that quality. So that's really very much part of our ethos and our philosophy it's not a holier than thou anything it's just it's great for everybody because we get beautiful quality produce and the money is going back into our local community and we know exactly how each thing is produced so we know that our money is going to help people to farm sustainably and and people who are prepared to uh, look after the environment as they produce the foods. The other thing that I'm at the school then, a number of years ago, I banned tinfoil. I got a thing about tinfoil, aluminum foil. So we banned that, so we don't use that at all. And we're doing our very best, as everybody is, I'm sure now, to cut down the use of plastic. Just to try to just have no single use plastic. And it's really tough, even if you're really committed to it, because one has to say to one's suppliers, please don't deliver anything in plastic to me. Um, you know, try to put it into a, a recycled cardboard box or a or a timber box if the you know with the fruit when the fruit comes in it. And also, when one does that, you're reminding other people as well to just be a little bit more aware of that. And then I, I, there's another little thing. One of the things that might amuse you is that with things like, for example, orange or citrus peels, orange or lemon peels, or whatever, we of course make some candied peel, but there's a limit to how much candied peel you can use. Uh, or you want to use the other ones that are left over uh, we just dry them out uh, in, in my case in the bottom oven of my ancient aga and then they dry out and they make the most brilliant fire lighters and then it makes sense because you don't for anybody actually to do that it's fun apart from anything else but you don't have to pay the council to take away the you know it's not another thing to put into your bin going to the council and of course the other I think I mentioned earlier about having hens oh my goodness I really encourage people uh, to think about having hens. Uh, even if you're living in an urban area, if you have a little bit of grass, you know, maybe a little chicken coop and you might have three or four hens in it and the scraps then from your cooking can go to the hens and they'll come back as, they'll recycle them and they'll come back as eggs a few days later. And then you'll have the manure and you can put that onto your uh, compost if you, and it's really, really 
a wonderful thing to make a little compost, even if it's very simple, put that back onto the soil uh, in your garden to make the soil more fertile. And then you can grow lots of lovely vegetables and everything uh, that are going to be really nutritious and, and delicious for the family. You've given me <laughs> tons of tips. I'm definitely trying the orange peels as fire lighters when I get home. Many people are arguing that farmers markets could play a significant role in, in localizing our food system. And, and you've established a network of them in the Cork area. So what role do you see farmers markets playing in our new food system? Oh, my goodness. Well, the farmers markets are... Uh, of all the things I've been involved with, and I've been involved with a few over the years, slow food and all sorts of other things, I think honestly establishing the farmers markets here, in the first farmers market here in Ireland over 30 years ago now, actually, believe it or not, after I came back from and saw the first one in San Francisco, I think is the thing that, if I was to say it, feel most proud of, uh, because, but and actually that's made a difference to so many people's farmers and food producers' lives. They're in a crucial and essential part of a food system for not only for the producers themselves who get the full price into their hand and the appreciation for what they're doing. This is not an insignificant thing when you're there on your stall uh, and the customer comes up to you and they say, oh, my goodness, that was one. They were, that was a wonderful bit of broccoli I got last week or something, because farmers very often don't get much in the way of credits from the general public because they produce their food, it goes into a lorry and goes out through the farm gate and they never meet the person who eats it or, you know, uh, or enjoys it. So the, this is another element of the farmer's market, apart from the importance of getting the full price uh, into your hand, uh, which means the difference between survival and not for so many uh, farmers and food producers. Because remember, one of the biggest challenges uh, is the, the low price of food at the farm gate. At the moment, you know, it's very difficult one, this it really is. Everybody deserves and needs wholesome nourishing food. And so, but basically at the moment, we're not paying the farmers enough or the producers enough in most cases to actually produce the nourishing wholesome food we say we need, we want. And so this is a, a real dilemma. And um, you know, it's something that's going to somehow or other we've got to get the, the we've got to make um, consumers in general in their very busy lives aware of this particular issue because it's it means we can't, you know, the, the, we totally depend, of course, on the food we eat. So to keep us alive and if we are not paying enough to produce it, nourishing, wholesome food, we're all losers. I think you're, you're alluding to a lot of big problems we have with our intensified agricultural system, both with respect to the price that farmers get and the impact on nature. So where do you think Ireland's food and agricultural policy should focus on in the future to address these challenges while still giving farmers uh, strong livelihoods? In many ways, uh, farmers are caught, caught very much in a catch-22 situation. Many of them feel uncomfortable about the amount of the pesticides and herbicides and things like that that they they have to put on the land to grow their crops or feel they have to. Many farmers, by the way, really truly do not believe they can grow uh, organically, that they can grow without these uh, inputs. So in a way, what's needed is for our Irish government and for Chagish, that wonderful uh, research station to actually pump lots and much, much, much more money into research for this kind of farm, these kind of farming systems. Many farmers now are beginning to embark on a journey of what they call regenerative farming, where you're on a journey to 
um, to farm with less inputs and so on. Uh, th so they need huge support, um, basically, to continue on that uh, journey. They need the advice, the research, and, uh, of course, subsidies to help them uh, over the transition period. Um, they also, there's a couple of sort of things that would be big game changers, really. And uh, if, um, if the government was to bring in the um, policy of the, that the polluter uh, should pay uh, or adopt the polluter pays principle, so those who create the pollution should bear the costs of, of cleaning it up. And those who farm sustainably, they should be rewarded for their contribution to global health and the environment. This is not actually, believe it or not, the case at the moment. And if farmers were paid not just for volume, as is the case at the moment, um, but mostly, but for nutrient density, um, but that depend, you know, food, the more nutrient dense the food, the more they would be paid for it. For a number of years now, there's uh, several people have been working on developing a spectrometer. Um, and that's something that, you know, uh, would eventually you'd have an app on your phone when you go into your shop or supermarket there might be two or three lots of carrots there and you might you put your spectrometer up to the carrots and one would have so much vitamins minerals trace elements set to the next one perhaps a little less and so on and there might be a difference in price between them and you could just you decide well look i want to buy those or i'll buy those because they actually have more nutrients and they're more wholesome and nourishing for my family. So that wouldn't that be a, a game changer? Uh, the other thing that is a hugely important is to teach our kids how to cook. Uh, we need to re-embed cooking and indeed for that matter, growing skills back into the school curriculums. At the moment, what are we like? We've let several generations out of our house, houses and out of our schools without giving them the basic skills to feed themselves. I mean, it's really, really crazy. And they would make, not only would they have the skills to feed themselves and nourish themselves well, which would have an impact, of course, on their health and on the health service and all of that, uh, but also they would be different kinds of consumers. They would be looking for a different kind of food when they go shopping. You have yeah. given us an absolute ton of food for thought on what we can do as individuals and nationally to be more environmentally conscious in our in our eating habits. My thanks to Jarena Allen, celebrity cook, author and slow food champion. And that's it for this episode of Down to Earth. Thank you for listening and thanks to my producer Alex Rousseau. And don't forget that you can subscribe to the series on podcast at newstalk.com or on the Newstalk app. Next week, we're dressing up to find out if there's an ugly side to fast fashion. But until then, stay curious.